Hot Springs Village Inside Out is a closer look at the greatness of Hot Springs Village, Arkansas and the surrounding areas, people, places, experiences. Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is one of the most beautiful places on the earth. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we engage in weekly conversations to explore Hot Springs Village Inside Out. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com. Remax of Hot Springs Village is the largest real estate office with over 30 full-time agents and support staff. They're also an award-winning Remax office. Visit them to learn more about this beautiful place to figure out your real estate needs. Call them today at 1-800-364-9007 or find them online at explorehsv.com. They are Remax of Hot Springs Village at 1-800-364-9007 or online at explorehsv.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out. But you knew that. What you didn't know is that we have the general manager today, Mr. Kelly Hale. It is a pleasure to talk to somebody who's not interim again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you gentlemen having me on today. Oh, an absolute delight. Kelly, uh, you know, I, I don't even know where to start. And, you know, the, uh, uh, a, um, a general manager who has lived in the village a couple of years that the board resoundingly approved that, that has a skill set that obviously is, is very well suited for what we're talking about. Give us just the background for those that don't know, give us the five mile high view of Kelly Hill. Well, um, I'll just take you from where I was born and raised and kind of give it a long way around the barn and how I got here to the village. So uh, I'm, I was born and raised in a little town called Bastrop, Louisiana. And I grew up in Northeast Louisiana in a town called Epps. And majority of my family, it's right on the Mississippi border. Uh, most of my family's in uh, North Central, Northeast Louisiana, and scattered throughout Arkansas. I've got family in Crossit, Monticello, Hamburg, BB, Conway, Little Rock, and uh, here, here in the village. Uh, my, fam- my dad was a journeyman lineman for Louisiana Power and Light. And in 1972, uh, he, him and mom were about ready to go broke. Uh, we were living in Arcadia, Louisiana, just outside of Shreveport there. He was set up over in a substation area there. And he decided that uh, he was going to find some, a better employment. So we moved to Phoenix, Arizona in 1972, looking for work. So my dad got hired on at, uh, at uh, Salt River Project. And we lived out there for three years and then they laid off all the linemen and uh, we moved to Vancouver, Canada for one year. My dad worked for BC Hydro. Uh, Mom and dad realized how expensive it was to live in Canada in 1975. It was very expensive coming from Louisiana. And uh, we were actually headed back to Louisiana in a U-Haul truck and had stopped off in Iowa to stay overnight with my aunt. And my dad had a, a network of friends. And this is long before the internet. You got to realize it was just a book of phone numbers. It was 1976. And uh, he talked to a gentleman he used to work with out in Arizona that was originally a Kansas City native. And, you know, you know, any work, trying to find work, because that's what dad was doing. He was doing, he would work for two or three weeks wherever he could to get gas money. And we'd move on down the line trying to get back home. 
And uh, he said, need to get out of Kansas City right now. There's a new utility company called the Board of uh, Public Utilities. And he went down and got hired that day. And that's how we ended up moving to Kansas City. So Kansas City became my home uh, when I was 10 years old. And I, you know, lived there up until 2001 uh, when I left. So uh, unique town, kind of different moving from the south to there, uh, trying to get acquainted. Uh, But, uh, you know, like most kids, you grow up, you have fun, you play baseball, you run around with your friends. But, uh, you know, my senior year of high school, I was working for Sutherland Lumber Company uh, in Kansas City, Kansas. And I was uh, driving a forklift for them. I started out working in the yard and then they taught me how to drive a forklift. And I picked up that skill. So my senior year of high school, I uh, was also going to Kansas City, Kansas Community College and half day high school, half day doing that and working weekends at Sutherland Lumber Company. And they had a, had a table there and it was for a company called United Parcel Service. So we didn't know who they were. You know, uh, we actually the funny thing was, is when I told my dad about it, he said, well, that's a, that's a good government job. Because <laughs> we thought at the time UPS delivered uh, the big packages and the guys in the white trucks delivered the letters. So he thought it was part of the post office. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it was a private company at the time. And the reason I got hired there was because I, I, I knew how to drive a forklift. They hired like one person a year. I mean, it was, you know, this is UPS paid very, very well. This is 1984. And uh, so I that's how I got hired. And, and I worked uh, UPS for 37 years and uh, I drove a forklift one time <laughs> for those 37 years. The only reason I drove it is because the building was on fire and we were trying to get the equipment out of it. And nobody knew how to start the forklift and drive it. And I, I did. So that was it. So all that experience. And I got to do it one time. So that was that's always a funny story. Um, a great story. But I but I started in Kansas City, Kansas, in the old West Bottoms, uh, unloading trucks. That's where everybody starts at UPS. And it was going to be a summer job that ended up lasting for 37 years. So uh, I worked as a dock worker for a couple of years. It was a union shop. And next thing I know, I'm driving a truck. So I was a delivery driver and I did that for several years. And then I was approached to go into their management program. Uh, Back then, UPS was a privately held company and uh, they had a very, very good management uh, program and you had to be invited in. And I went in, went in as a full-time supervisor. And from there, they they love to promote from within. That was the big part of the culture. And that's one of the things I'm bringing to the POA as well. And really just getting my feet wet and one thing led to another. So uh, I kept getting promoted and my wife and I relocated around the country nine times. Uh, I've had 11 different sites that I've worked in over my career and uh, ended up retiring as a vice president of U.S. operations, uh, ran the Chicago office. So I was based in Chicago. Uh, My wife was living in Westfield, Indiana, which is a suburb of Indianapolis because she was not going to move back to Chicago again. I don't blame her. Uh, We'd already done two tours through there and uh, she uh, didn't want to go back. So I had already been traveling three, four days a week. I was gone from home. So we kind of did the math and it was kind of like, well, why don't you just get an apartment in Naperville? And I was working in Hodgkins, which is over on toward the south side of the city there. Um, and, you know, and then I flew out of the out of there and I had a territory that ran from the Canadian border through, uh, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. It was 14 states. 
And that was my job was to go around the United States and uh, just visit with my teams, look at things, uh, validate things were going right and work on projects that we had going on at that time. So um, we did that for two and a half years and then I decided to retire. And I had the UPS let you out when you're 55, you can get a full pension. So they have the old style defined benefit pensions and they 55 come around. They wanted me to work a couple more years and I just had had enough. I mean, I've been away from home for, I've been on the road for 22 years traveling. Uh, My wife was tired of it and uh, you know, we, we really wanted to retire. So that, that was really the background there. Um, as far as the village here, I've been coming to the village for over five years. Uh, my mom and dad moved down here in 2017. My uncle, who lives in Crossett, Arkansas, who worked for Arkansas Power and Light, was a journeyman lineman also. He put the power in here in 1970 with APL. So he had told my parents about this place since the Coopers built it and how great it was. And we'd been to Hot Springs you know, when I was a kid before um, so, you know, we were familiar with it, but we were really looking for a place to retire. So mom and dad moved down here and that worked out well. And my wife and I were, you know, like everyone, when you start getting it toward the twilight of your career, you start looking for a place to want to retire. Well, I, I had uh, been going to Northeast Oklahoma for years to Grand Lake. So I've got a connection with Grand Lake down there. My wife's uh, mom and dad lived in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And they had a lake house over there at Grand Lake. And I don't know if you're familiar with Grand Lake, but it's a beautiful lake, uh, kind of a home away from home for me. And my wife and I, when we lived in Kansas City, we lived on the south side of Kansas City, on the Missouri side. And it was about a two hour and 45 minute drive to get down to the lake house. So we've been going down there for over 35 years. I loved it. Still love it to this day until I found the village. <laughs> so I was prepared to move there and had that on my radar. Uh, But I also had in my territories for several years, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, you know, they were, I really like Tennessee is beautiful. Uh, It's gotten very overpopulated in some areas with a lot of influx of people moving there. Kind of like Dallas is getting right now, Randy, you know, with a lot of push, same thing with the Austin area as well. And then uh, Kentucky, I liked a lot. I'd spent several years down in Kentucky working on projects with UPS in a beautiful state, beautiful state uh, between Louisville, Lexington area. Um, So those were all on the radar as far as places we wanted to retire. But when I I would come down here and visit my parents and I just I just fell in love with the place. I mean, the day one, what got me was the gates. You know, I actually have a place that has gates for security. I thought that was the coolest thing is to live inside a gated community because we, my parents, they weren't rich. And my wife and I, we were very frugal throughout our life. And I always wanted to live in a gated community. So that was, I was like, man, that, that just makes you feel special right there alone. And then, then the cost of living here was very inexpensive. Um, and then when I got in the gate, it was the golf courses were beautiful. The lakes were beautiful. Uh, you know, just the nature, the trails, you know, you've got all this infrastructure that the Coopers left us. Uh, that was just fantastic. And I, you know, I just fell in love with the place. And so I was coming here two, three times a year, to take care of my parents and check on them and spend time with them. And then it just, uh, one thing led to another that I decided, yeah, we're going to go to the village. So we bought a lot here two years ago and uh, started building a home in April of 21. Got to get my date straight now. 
and moved in in November of 2021. So we haven't been in our home very long, but we are thrilled and uh, just did really worked out well. I, I think the, the biggest thing that really drew me to the place was not only the beauty and the amenities that we have, was really the people. There's a lot of really special people here uh, that we fell in love with. We've got several friends. We had a rental house over on Pizarro uh, that we've gotten to know all the neighbors up and down. And there's, we still have spend time with them, even though we're not over there. Uh, matter of fact, I just had lunch with one today uh, because they're just, they're just great people. And then, you know, no matter where I go in the village that I just run into people that are just so, so sweet. And they're so happy to be here that it just makes you feel better and better every day. Well, retirement didn't last long. No, but, but Julie's gets to sleep in your own bed at night. So there's that. There is. And I'll, I'll tell you how that all came about. So, um, I had no intentions of working ever again in my life. I had uh, a few job offers when I left UPS from uh, customers that I'd done business with over the years that, you know, you, you just build friendships with customers, large corporations, and they know you and you know them and they can pick up on the fact that UPS, we would help a lot of our customers with their operating needs, you know, setting up their factories, advising them, you know, because that's what we do, warehouses, you know, belts, motors, getting things through the system, networks. And so, you know, I had a few few customers that approached me on jobs, but they all required traveling a lot. And I really wasn't into that. And I, having been coming down here for five years, you're looking from the outside in. And there was just a lot of noise. And there was a lot of upset people. Um, and I couldn't figure that out. Such a beautiful place and such nice people. And you got so many angry souls. So it concerned me. And then I attended several committee meetings and I went to several board meetings and I started going through the finances and looking at what needed to be done and just kind of doing what I did at UPS and just kind of running a number two pencil over the life cycle of a lot of the equipment and what we have. And I realized that if we don't do something now, it, it could get away from us very quickly. And uh, it, it just is one of those things that when I, I was approached by a group of gentlemen that I played golf with, because you know how you are when you know, get to know people, who are you? What do you do? What did you do in life? You know, and there's some very, very intelligent people here, people that were former executives, people that are very smart, a lot of educators, a lot of military. So we have a wealth of people. So for them to approach me and say, you should fill out an application to be the general manager. So the first thing I did was laugh. That was the first thing I did. I laughed and uh, I said, there's no way. And then the more I thought about it, uh, it really sunk in that, you know, to your point, Randy, I, I can be home every night. And this was more of me wanting to help. So I met with the board and I talked with them and I told them that I would I will help for the next three to five years. I'm not looking for a career. I'm not looking for lifelong. The things that I identified right away was we do not have a succession plan here at the POA, uh, which is creating a lot of turbulence in some of the departments. You have an aging workforce here um, that is, is they, they deserve to retire. They deserve to go on with their portion of their life. The problem is, is there a lot of the knowledge of what runs this place. And we do have backups, but the backups are 35-year people, 27-year people, um, and, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
I mean, I want those people to stay. But we've just had too much turnover, too much chaos. And my vision is to find someone and recruit someone for this general manager's job that we can groom internally and get the pipeline going again, that we can bring in leaders that are skilled, that have the right way to manage money and have a very simplistic approach to business that get the village. You don't need to constantly be reinventing the wheel every time you put somebody in this chair. What you need is is someone that can follow the model and continue taking care of what needs to be taken care of. Um, We don't need to go build a bunch of new stuff. I, I don't need an equestrian park. I don't need a city center. I don't need all these other things. What the Cooper family gave us is more than enough. We just need to go take care of it. So when I walk around and I spend a lot of time in the field, uh, paint, caulk, power washing, (laughs) replacing some concrete, you know, uh, bunkers on the golf courses that, you know, they need to be belly bunkered. They're caved in. They don't drain right. These are all infrastructure needs. Uh, Then I go and I look at the water sewer treatment plant, you know, 10, $12 million investment we need to put into there, but it's got to be done strategically. You just can't go and write a big check and they go, there you go. No. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of things like that, that I've had some experience with, uh, but they were in the logistical side, not the municipality side. But here's what I told, you know, my team when I got here, you're the experts, you know, a heck of a lot more than I do. But I did come from an industry that deals with motors, pumps, belts, machines, this, that, and the other. They're all the same. It's like with anything in life, skills are transferable. You just got to replace it with what you're familiar with. So that, that's really what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to restructure some of the org chart, trying to cut some cost, not shortchange the, what we need here at the POA. Uh, but I, I think there was opportunity for us to be able to realign some departments and realign some responsibilities to simplify what our, our members um, need and to be able to simplify what our employees need as well. So that's, that's really what we're looking at right now. Tell us about a boss that you had at UPS that had a big impact on your growth as a leader. Oh, my goodness. Um, I had several, but probably the one that sticks out the most in my mind was a gentleman named Tim Foster. And Tim Foster was from Omaha, Nebraska. I first met him in Kansas City. And he was probably one of the most gentle souls that you'd ever be around in your life. But he always took the time to just walk with you and talk. Um, You know, UPS had a culture, uh, MBWA, management by walking around. That was our theme. So he was big into that. And, you know, you spend the majority of your time out on the floor or out in the field with drivers. And he took the time to really walk and talk and learn you as an individual. But he would go into areas that we would be looking at and he would say, what do you see? And so, you know, it was kind of like, I spy this, you know, and we play that game. And then he would give you feedback. And it was always in a really positive, encouraging tone. Uh, if he felt that you were really trying to the skill level that you had, he was going to coach you up. Uh, he didn't he didn't just dictate. And I learned early on, you got to coach people and you got to mentor them that way. You can still be the boss. You can still be all that. You can still have a title. That's why I don't get into titles very much. Uh, but you got to be the coach. And you got to make sure people understand what their purpose is on the field and what value and how important they are. And he used to always say, everybody's got to know what the plan is all the way down to the porter. 
which meant the guy cleaning the floors was just as important as you are. And you got to make sure that they know that. Dennis. No, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I can take off in a million directions and kill a wonderful story. Uh, uh, my, my mind is racing at how many employees are at the POA roughly a couple hundred. Uh, right now we have, uh, 413 on a plan of about 465, 472 range that flexes a little bit. Every time we look at some of the seasonal workers with, a, with, with, uh, probably about 275 of those being full-time hmm. and so you, we'll run about say- maybe 60 seasonal. Okay, for, say for 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 pool work and all kinds of things, right? Yes, sir. Uh, what what are your challenges? What do you see? I mean, what's what's the man? I, I got to get on this right away. Um, really, the team building uh, right now, and by team building, they're great people. They're a great team, uh, but really getting them to feel good about themselves. And you know, John Paul did a phenomenal job. I can't thank him enough for stepping in. Uh, John Paul and I talk regularly. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he's a mentor uh, that will never, ever walk in. I'm not an e- egotistical person. I may be confident, but I, I don't hopefully I come across as egotistical. And I depend on him. And I try to surround myself by people that are a heck of a lot smarter than I am, or at least have a heck of a lot more experience because I can glean them from them. So really building my team up to trust me, because look, I am not a golf resort guy. I am not a hotel guy, you know, a resort type person guy. I'm a general manager. I'm a business person. I understand dollars and cents and I understand human behavior. And right now it's the team building, I think is the biggest thing, Dennis, that I want to get them to where they are. And then the other part of that is, is really evaluating the priorities. I mean, I've been in the seat for two months, going on three, somewhere in there. And it's a matter of, I like to dump all the books. So I like to look at where's the money coming in, where's the money going out. And then what I have each one of the departments doing right now is making a priority of what all has to be fixed and logically how that's going together. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, The public works department, one of the things that when we're doing logic checks, we need to replace water lines and culverts. And so I told them, I said, well, when you do that, do an overlay of the neighborhood And if you're going to dig up the culvert, can you go ahead and replace the water line while you're there if it needs to be? And then when we put the asphalt down, I'm not tearing the asphalt back out in two years and come back and do the same doggone thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a logical, sequential way we spend our money and get the most bang for our buck. The same thing goes with like our water and sewer treatment plant. We've got so many motors over there and their life cycles are starting to wear out. You know, we have things over there called clarification motors, and that's what makes our water nice and clean. Those things are $650,000 a piece. So they're not cheap, but they're very important. But when we start talking about replacing the motors, which keeps the purification of what we put back into the environment and what comes out of our faucet, we've got a schematic. And what I asked them to do is strategically replace the motors to help save the other motors so we get more life cycle out of them not just start plugging and playing, plugging and playing, you know, there's a cause and effect to anything you do. And I knew that from the industry I just came from basically with motors. So when I sit and talk to Chris, my public work or my um, water director here, it, he is just a wealth of knowledge. You, you want somebody that's phenomenal to talk to, talk to Chris. He is, he just amazes me, but him, he, he gets it. 
and he understands what I'm looking for. So that's what he's doing right now. He's putting a schematic together so that if I replace this, it'll take the strain off of that and let me get another year or two so I don't have to spend that money. And we get everything replaced over, I don't know, five, six years, but then it's all brand new. And then we go back to the life cycle model and we just start putting them on a calendar when we're going to replace them and save our money. And then we're good to go. Excuse me for, I'm sorry. Uh, probably I had another show, I guess it was probably three years ago, village venues where uh, Jason allowed me to come take a tour of the water treatment and the sewer treatment plant. And the, yeah. And I, I guess I didn't know what to expect, but my mouth was literally hanging open and you're yes. right. Uh, I'm sorry. Was his name? Mike. Is that the gentleman? Chris, uh, Chris, 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 Chris is, yeah. yes, sir. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. And it was he, he and, I, and Jason that went out to the pickup station. We went to the sewer treatment plant and went to the water treatment plant. And I guess I didn't know what to expect, but I remembered thinking this is in my mind, you know, I see it all diagrammed out on the map and everything. This is one of the things I really wish that, that the laity could see and see how much is involved in keeping this going. And, and your spin where I'm hearing, you know, let's not just play break fix. Okay. Wear it till it completely breaks out and go, oops, now we got a half million we need to pop out with. Right. Let's, let's plan this a little smarter. Let's try and maintenance this. Let's try and negotiate that. Yeah. Randy, yeah. you're next. I'm sure you got some, Well, you're less than a hundred days in. And so it's still very early, but yeah. to your point of, of a kind of a three to five year plan, how optimistic are you that you can that you can get accomplished what you set out to accomplish in the, in that time? I'm very optimistic on it, Randy. I mean, because I you know I see I see a lot of talented people here, and I'm constantly searching for talent. Um, I really don't think the villagers understand how much infrastructure we have to replace, and and, and let's just take the water and sewer treatment plant. Y'all have been involved with this village for a long time. How many times have you heard that come up on a subject that it's of dire importance that we start really focusing in on it? Okay, well, here's how I look at things. There's just some basic needs when you live in a community. When you turn on the water, that needs to come out of the faucet and it needs to be clear. And when you go to the toilet, when you flush it, whatever's in there needs to go away. And if those two things don't happen, people are going to notice. And that's a big deal. And you expect that in any uh, utility or any community you live in. So, you know, those, I look at the basic needs of our members and what they're looking for and go from there. So that's why when I get groups uh, that have their interest, you know, some people call them pet projects, I think was the term that was thrown out, you know, I don't get into pet projects. But you know what I do appreciate is the people that belong to these different groups or clubs, their passion, because they're so important to the village, because you know, whether it's the lawn bowling or one of the other clubs, the pickleball or the tennis or the golf or whatever it is, they're passionate about it. And I think that's fabulous, which means they're going to take interest and care about it. But I've also been telling everybody, I'm not doing that. I'm getting the reputation of being known as Dr. No. I'm not doing that for the next 24 months because we're not going to expand anything that Cooper gave us. We have enough. What we need to do is polish up paint up, repair up what we do have, and you'll find that it works fine. There's enough, there's enough opportunity for you can do whatever you want. We're not at full capacity. Even if you think we are, we're not on using up our amenities. 
And my big push right now is to get rid of the subsidies that take care of these things. And that, that's been a big deal. And by getting rid of them, I mean getting more people to use the amenities we have so that they break even. We're not looking to make money on these things. But what you do need to know as villagers is just plain and simple, that we have two things, two amenities that actually make money every year. That's the dog park and the RV park. Everything else loses money. And people think, well, that's, that's why I moved here. That's okay. Okay, hang on, folks. Here's the business reality check. Even in 2025, when we go to 100, was it 110 bucks, guys, that we're going to go yeah. to on assessment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is dirt cheap. The average HOA, all right, expense in the United States is $189. I just moved here from Indianapolis, all right? And my wife and I were paying $97 a month. You know what we got? We didn't get private gates. I didn't get eight golf courses. I got two entrances. They put some flowers, had one little waterfall, and they mowed the common areas. Had a pool that had about 300 little kids in it that I couldn't get to anyway. <laughs> one basketball court, one tennis court, right? Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. $97 a month. I talked to a lady from Atlanta. She had a very similar situation, $450. Talked to a lady from California, $650 a month. And we have people that need to understand we are self-sufficient. We take care of everything our own. We have to start healing a lot of our, our body parts. We've taken our body of our uh, community here and we've worn it out. Now we got to do a little healing on it and get her back and running again. And it's going to be fine. I mean, I feel very confident uh, on a lot of the things. And I, right now what I'm building out is um, a, a Gantt for where we want to put the money and how we do it. Cause you can't just say we're, we're going to put all of our money over here in the water and sewer because then all my other amenities kind of start going downhill a little bit. So you got to spread a little around and repair the things that need to be healed uh, till you can get the body back together. And but to your point, it's a hierarchy of needs. Oh, hierarchy. Yes. Yes, Randy. It's a hierarchy of what we have to do. And somebody's got to be that person that's going to say, this is the logical succession of how we want to get that done. And just, just do it. And how be important, transparent. How important is, how important is the culture, uh, uh, the culture of your team and, and give us some description of what your, of what your philosophies are as far as that goes, because clearly to mm -hmm. your point, you're surrounded by a bunch of smart people, experts at, at what they do, and you clearly want that legacy to get passed on and bring in some other folks so that there can be a, a good transition, a succession plan, departmental-wise and throughout the organization. But you know, what, what does that culture look like and what your vision is as far as all that goes? Well, we, we've got the, people, the employees at the POA are phenomenal. And I, I want to remind them of that all the time. And the culture is they, they love working here. They love working for uh, the members. And I, I make them look, I ask them to look at it, uh, that we're here to serve customers. Uh, to be able to have a good succession plan is you've got to go out and recruit. So one of the things I'm doing right now is I met with the directors of National Park um, Wednesday of this week. I met with uh, the superintendent from Fountain Lake yesterday. I'm meeting with the superintendent from Jesseville next week. 
And uh, we've already met with the saline tech group down there. And what I'm doing is, is I've got my team lined up and we're going into these places and we're going to recruit. We're going to recruit high school seniors that don't see themselves going to college. And we want to give them a career path to come work here. Uh, we want to show the folks that, you know, we're not this group of people that live here in the village that are mean and nasty. It's a great place to work. See, you know, the big thing, and I spend a lot of time listening to people's opinion, when you get outside the gate, you'd be real surprised the people that are surrounding us on five and seven, they don't view the village as being really nice people. They think we're rich, entitled, and uppity. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I want to tear down those barriers. I want to get back. So, you know, you can ask a lot of people. I spend half my day in the field, either with the employees or with the community, trying to learn from them and rebridge those relationships. So I've gone to the superintendents. I've got a team of people here at the POA and a board member that we have a plan on how to get into the schools and do it on a regular basis. But I want to build into that top, that uh, pipeline that I can get the people built up, get the succession plan going for everybody and start getting these kids on. So one of the things we did is we built a uh, apprentice program. And it's not your atypical apprentice program that they had when we were young and growing up. You know, uh, this is you're going to come and I need you to be a mower and weed eater person. But six hours a week out of your 40 hours, I'm going to teach you how to do small engine repair. I'm going to teach you how to run the lawnmower sharpening blade machine. We're going to teach you how to use heavy equipment in a controlled environment and start giving these kids skill sets before I lose them to other people. You got to get people hooked and see, and that's the way it was with me at UPS. I could have just said, I'm just a, I just unload and load trucks and this is it. But somebody took the time with me to take me out in the backyard and say, Hey, get in the truck. Here's how it is. And you grind a couple gears till you find it. And they sit beside you in a safe environment and you learn the job. And then they got me ready to go out and be a delivery driver. So I'm taking that same old school uh, type training and attitudes with the POA here. And I believe it'll pay us dividends in the long run. So if somewhere in here, somebody's got to teach these kids how to drive a forklift is what I'm hearing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're exactly right. And I've got great, I've got great superintendents. So we built a team from public works, park and rec and golf, along with my HR group and one of my board members. And they're on a committee that will be going into these schools. They've gotten together and they've written uh, a apprenticeship for each one of their departments. Uh, We changed up the onboarding process with our golf department that they go and do a two-day extensive training with Tammy over at DeSoto. She gives them all the safety training. I mean, all the golf courses are sending their people to her and her team, and they do a two-day, show them how to use the equipment, show them this, that, and the other. And then we turn them over to who they're going to be working with, and they've got a mentor that helps them from there. And that's from a safety aspect. That's from a turnover aspect. And we're really wanting to get these folks up and running very quickly, but do it the right way. Something we were missing in the past because it was kind of earn as you learn. Um, So we kind of want to help speed that up a little bit. You know, we've had the privilege and thank you seriously for us to be able to interview a a whole lot of POA board uh, members, uh, employees, uh, and one of the former members, which we hate to see go, was Miss Stephanie that we did interview. One yeah. of the things that I've known her for 
a decade, no, I've known her for two decades now, wonderful lady. And just, you know, on camera, we asked a couple of questions and she gave me an answer I was kind of surprised about. We talked about the succession, uh, as you talked about earlier, uh, the transition from Cooper. You know, there was a there was a symbiotic relationship. Cooper was marketing and, and development and, and the POA was operations. Let's mm -hmm. call it that. Right. Well, she noted that when Cooper left, there had not been any discussions about about secession, about transfer, about right. A, a, about a contingency plan. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think we're on the right path here. The POA board at that time moved a little bit more to whack-a-mole type thing. <laughs> Let's just, whatever pops up, we're going to knock down. Right. And, and this whole idea of strategic planning and looking three and five and eight years ago of, of ahead, I'll make note. One of the things that I, I assume, you know, this, you have a relatively new uh, water treatment plant because we saved up for years back in the 2000s and paid mm -hmm. for that thing in cash. Mm -hmm. And then when we moved on, that was great. It takes decisions like that every day, all the time. Am I right? It, it really is. I mean, you, you really have to stay in front of your life cycles of your equipment. Uh, because when, if your way of fixing it is when it quits running, time to fix the problem with that type of mentality is, is when it goes down, it usually takes two or three other parts with it. And then the expense gets very high, very quickly. So I, I think that those type of things are very critical. Uh, and that just goes with the day-to-day -day part of doing business. And then what you can do is put them on a uh, spreadsheet and then we can start saving for them that we know we've got X number of years left on this particular model and it's going to cost us half a million dollars and all right, well, let's start saving our money and we can get it to that point and then get locked in on some prices. So I, I think strategic planning is important. Um, Whack-a-mole management. Yeah, that, that doesn't work for me because, you know, that 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 you end up losing too much money. You lose too much time and you end up losing your customer base and your employee base because they don't know what the vision and the plan is because it's changing constantly, which sends confusion and makes you not look trustworthy and you have integrity issues. And you just, you spend more time explaining yourself and chasing stuff than you do actually getting work done. Before we get to the lightning round, accentuating the positive here, what's the most... What's the most pleasant surprise that you've experienced here within the first 90 days or so? Just how much the people here at the POA care. I mean, I really didn't know what I was going to walk into. I'd met several of them, but when you really get in and start talking to the people, they genuinely love this place and they'll do anything and everything. I mean, I could go on and on and on about all the key people we have here, employees that run this place and I like to refer to them as partners, and I want our members to see them as partners, not an employee. There are partners of us, and when I say members, I'm speaking to myself because I live here. Uh, I may have to be the boss on it, but I'm, I'm a member too, so I look at it through what I want to see. But just the, the, the sheer passion these people have for wanting to do a good job to see the village succeed. They don't want to see it fail because they see the beauty in it. And that, that was what's really what's taken me back the most. Uh, Dennis? I, think Todd, I think Todd Knowles exemplifies that. Uh, we have another appointment with him, another interview with him this next mm -hmm. week. And mm -hmm. Todd Knowles with uh, 
wildlife, common properties and forestry, I think is his, yes, and he's also working on the road crew now, but he was talking about how, you know, they, his wife would literally fix dinner for people in the village because they cared about them and they couldn't get out and whatever it, it's, it's more than a job to these people. I mean, these, these people, they have their hearts invested in it. Oh, they do. And that's why I try to explain to a lot of our, our members is that these people care. And they're partners. They're partners because you're right. You've got somebody that's homebound. They're cooking meals for them. I'll tell you what, you don't find companies that the employees do that stuff. You know what I mean? When they clock out, they're done. Here, these people would get up in the middle of the night and come in. And, you know, and really the other amazing thing is, is a lot of, a lot of the employees here at the POA are volunteer firefighters. So when they're done, if their phone rings, they're running back in here to do the, you know, another part of a job that's really important to the village. That they don't get paid for. Don't get paid for. Wow. All right. Well, you ready for the lightning round or you got anything else, Dennis? Bring it I, on. I've got one more question before. Would Do you it. agree to come back and see us again, Mr. Mr. Hale? Oh, I'll come back and see you as many times as we need to. We would enjoy that. We would enjoy that. Okay. Right, these are these are quick and painless and fun. Hiking, okay. hunting, or fishing. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Hiking, hunting, or fishing. Hunting. Hamburger, tacos, or pizza? Tacos. Beaches or woods? Beach. Texting or talking? Uh, talking. Favorite day of the week? Got to be Friday. Favorite Gotta. city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Favorite city in the U.S. I used to always love going to Estes Park, Colorado. Ooh. Just it had a vibe to it. My wife and I used to go there quite a bit. It was just, just, just a neat place. It felt like you were just escaping the world when you got there. It was like literally kind of like the village. It was just <laughs> literally like going in a bubble. They had a little uh, downtown Estes Park there. They had a Starbucks, and on the back side they had a creek that ran down, and you can sit on this patio and drink your coffee. I'd go over there in the morning and just sit there, and it was just fabulous. Feet from the national park. Feet. From the Pete, national park, you know, you know exactly where I'm talking I know about. Exactly where you're talking about. Beautiful yeah. place. Oh, well, by the way, bring your oxygen when you come. Oh, very much. <laughs> Jeez, very much. Man. Very much. Do you have a nickname? Uh <laughs> that you would share. No, no, not that I'll share. No, I had a I had a gentleman. I will share this. I, I had a gentleman and he was he was a little different. Uh, but he used to call me a old dog. Cause my name Hale. I never could figure that out, but that's what he just yell at every time he saw me and he'd come over and give me a big hug. He worked for me in one of the buildings uh, in Chicago and just, just a really neat gentleman, but everybody started calling me that. And I was like, please don't do that anymore. I don't even know why I'm telling you guys. This. Okay. And here's a, here's a side, here's a sidebar. Any, any, any POA employees imitating you yet? Not to my face. Not that I know. <laughs> of course of. not. But have you heard of any? <laughs> We got we got to find them. Somebody's well, doing it. You know somebody's doing it, Kelly. So. Oh well, if they are, I'll help them along. I'm like, you're doing that all wrong. Let's do yeah, this. So, yeah, exactly. Okay, current favorite band or musician? Current? I don't. A lot of music today. I don't. I, I, I only mean current, as in like right now. Do you have one your like favorite right now? Your, oh yeah, yeah. Like right now, I'm a big yeah. Rolling Stones fan. Yeah, there you go. Big Rolling Stones fan. Are they still alive? Is oh, they're very much alive. And well, I think they get blood transfusions every <laughs> yeah. day. But if it have to go like this, it have to go Beatles, Stones, Zeppelin, and then I like it. Uh, We're probably, all showing our age. 
yeah. So I mean, those are those are really ones I like a lot. Um, I like music from the '90s. I thought the early '90s with a lot of the, um, I guess you want to call it grunge. Yeah, I didn't care for a lot of it noisy wise, but I thought it was a revolutionary kind of like uh, the '60s were. Um, I thought some of that was interesting, but I, I'm really about 1968 to about 1977 range. Yeah, I thought some of that was the best music that was ever made. And if you go back and look at it, I'll put it up against anything that's out there. I like it. Speaking of grunge, did you ever spend any time in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, my wife and I lived there for four years in Seattle. So uh, we got to see uh, Pearl Jam. Eddie Vedder had a bar downtown that we went to. There is a uh, there is a place that most of the bands from the early grunge era played at called the Tractor Club. And we went there and it, it's not worth anything. I mean, it's a little bit small hole, yeah. you know, kind of like uh, CBGB's was up in New York yeah. type place. Right. Well, we went there, um, but yeah, we, we got to, we got to experience quite a bit up there and you'd really be amazed. And Seattle's very unique because UPS started in Seattle back yep. in 1907. Yep. Amazon's from there. Microsoft's from there. Um, you know, it's just amazing when you really start thinking about the companies that came out of Seattle and that Pacific Northwest area. It's just amazing um, what they've done for the American culture. Yeah, it is. Favorite holiday. Favorite holiday has got to be Halloween. Okay. Why? I mean, it, I, I, it's, it's my wife and I used to, uh, we used to have a lot of Halloween parties. We had a, a friend of ours that had this uh, farm. They had an old barn and it was super spooky, even when it wasn't Halloween. And he used to fix it up every year. And we'd have this huge bonfire and have a big costume party with all of our friends. And it was just always a good time. And in Kansas, that's about the best time of the year is about the third or fourth week of October. You get the harvest moon and, you know, and it's just a nice time to have bonfires and be outside before it gets too cold. Now, have you done anything with that tradition here in the village? Not yet. <laughs> we haven't done anything for a long time, but yeah, we always enjoyed Halloween. You know, yeah. I don't know if that's a real holiday or not, but no, it uh, is. I like it. Kinda, I like it. Well, but it was just, you know, getting dressed up in costumes and, you know, and, and, and letting people be creative with costumes. So we always yeah. had a good time with our friends doing that. I would think working for UPS that Christmas might not be your favorite holiday. No, I mean, <laughs> my wife, no, it's it's not. And it's, it's a shame because I always love Christmas. But uh, from about November 1st through middle of January, uh, I was gone. Man. So as a guy that ran retail companies, I can relate. Did the same, yes, exa had the exact same schedule. Do you play a musical instrument? Do not, but I do have a Fender Stratocaster that I'm hoping my dear friend, Mr. Don Valdez will help me learn how to play. Look at you. There you go. Or Mr. John Paul. Yeah. Or John Mr. Paul. John Paul. Yeah. There, there you go. go. Okay. Describe your favorite meal. Uh, favorite meal. Well, I'll have to talk about a restaurant in Chicago called Capri's. They had this sea bass, Chilean sea bass that, it was phenomenally prepared with garlic mashed potatoes and steamed broccoli. I could eat it every day of the week. It was just unbelievable. Uh, how well delicious. So first concert, uh, kiss oh, and 1977 kiss alive Two tour was going on. <laughs> I want to rock and roll. All night. Well, no, let me take that back. Let me take that back. Actually, it was Ted Nugent. 
in Monroe, Louisiana. Oh, even better. Seventy-five. Yeah, there you go. The Motor City Madman. Motor City Madman. My cousin, my older cousins, took me to it. (laughs) Um, I think I was nine years old. Were you scarred for life? No, no, no. Well, look at him. Of course he is. (laughs) Okay, your favorite sports team? Uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the only reason I say that is I had season tickets for many years. And you can't be a real Chiefs fan until you've seen Bill Kenny quarterback and you were there for all the losing years. (laughs) Right. I've been been rooting for them. We moved there in 76 and – all you got to do is look at the history up until Marty Schottenheimer came in. It was yeah. not pretty. Was so you got to pay your dues is what I'm hearing tell. Yeah, you got to okay. pay your dues. But I was there through thick and thin for many, many years. Yeah, and, well, uh, then you need to stay on the bandwagon, as most people are <laughs> these days. Dogs yeah. or cats? Uh, dogs. Cake or pie? Uh, that's a good one there. Probably pie. What kind? Uh, apple. How many hours of sleep do you get? It's <laughs> on the day of the week because I've been on a night schedule. So I'm going to probably say about maybe three or four. I just have not figured. That's the other thing. I haven't gotten used to working days. So about 11 yeah. o'clock at night, my clock will kick in and I'm wide awake again. Yeah. So, How about that circadian rhythm, huh? Yeah. I'm hoping the good Lord will help me with that here pretty yeah. soon. <laughs> What's your favorite article of clothing? Uh, cowboy boots. Favorite quote. And we're done. Hmm. Probably Samuel Clemens on investing in vice, uh, invest in land. They just don't make it anymore. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to beat. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. No, I just want to thank Kelly for joining us. Uh, just a five mile high view, Kelly Hale, brand new general manager, less than a hundred days at the Hot Springs Village POA. Man, we appreciate you having t- today, Kelly. We'll hope to see you again real soon. Okay. I appreciate you gentlemen's time. I look forward to spending time with you real soon. All right. Plan on it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.